0: Thank you for visiting Cross Lane Community Church We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana For more information, please visit us online at COCchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages Well, good morning and welcome to Cross Lane We started a new series last week called The People's Court We had a discussion about judging And why we do that and how we're prone to do that And we talked about um, the sawdust in one person's eye, relative to the log that's in our own, and and what our response is when we see sawdust in someone's eye. Usually, there's something going on with us that we need to address first. If last week was a college class, we would have called it a one hundred and one class. It would have been kind of on the first level. You know, you go to college, you have different levels: one hundred and one freshman courses, two hundred and one sophomore, and as you go on, you get higher courses. If last week's was a 101, today's is a 301, alright, so um, this week is deep and confusing and if you leave here at the end of the day saying, what in the world was he talking about, then we're on the right track, okay, then then where we were, that's probably where you should be, I think you probably got it, um, I, I want to, this, you're, this, hmm, This message is difficult to preach. You can just start praying for me now, okay? It would be a really good thing for you to start praying for me now. But um, I want to do this before we get started. I want to make sure that we understand what the mission statement of this church is. Now, if you've been going here longer than three weeks, you know what the mission statement of this church is. On three, everybody with me, one, two, three, bringing people to Jesus. I want to make sure that we keep in mind that that is the mission statement of this church, really is the mission statement of every church. Um, should be. And that's key because we want to bring outsiders in and we also want to make sure that the insiders get it and stay in if that makes sense. You're going to hear what I'm going to say today and some of it's going to go you're going to think what kind of church have I walked into. Understand that um, we love you. Uh, we Everything that is said today is said in a spirit of love and those of you who are, are are new are going, okay, what, what in the world is he going to say? And those of you who have been here for a long time are thinking, he never does this many qualifiers before a sermon. Uh, you'll see. Turn to 1 Corinthians 5 if you want a precursor as to where we're going. You'll see why I want your prayers. And the minute you see what we're going to talk about, just start praying, okay? Um, let me tell you a couple of stories real quick. I heard the story of a—is this on? Can you hear me? Okay. I heard a couple of stories, I heard a story of a, a, a small group, and there was a couple in the small group, and she was cheating on her husband, and everybody in the small group knew it, and they would come in separate cars, and you know they would act like nothing was going on, it was you know business as usual, they would have their small group, she would leave, he would leave, and, and she'd even confided some of the details of this whole deal to some of the women in the small group. And finally, one of the women in the small group went to the pastor and said, this is going on, what, what, what do we do with this? And he, he said, it's really simple. You draw her aside, you tell her that she's not to come back to small group. You hear that and you think, well, isn't that judgmental? Yes, it is. Heard the story of a, a guy who was living, two Christian guys, one of them had a girlfriend, Um, they were these two christian guys were roommates they were living together this one guy had a girlfriend and he would most nights he spent at her house and the nights that they weren't at her house he brought her to his place and they stayed the night in his place uh with the christian roommate next door and this got to bothering the roommate after a while and and so he went to his pastor and said hey you know this is kind of what's going on in my world what 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 should I do he said well it's real simple you take him and explain to him that you need him to move out of your apartment that you you don't you're not going to associate with him like that you hear that and you say well isn't that judgmental yes it's judgmental I, a true story out of my uh, existence when I was uh, uh, I just completed my freshman year of Bible college I'd come home for the summer and I was an intern at my home church my home church is a fairly large church and um, my next door neighbor <laughs> that that I grew up I mean they lived next to us for a long time she was cheating on her husband and was seen publicly with this guy and and I mean she would this guy would come and go the, the her husband worked a lot was gone and was kind of clueless anyway and uh, this guy's coming and going and you know I'm what was I at the time? I'm about 19, and I'm watching this stuff happen, just coming and going, and um, everybody knew. This woman went to our church, and not only did she go to our church, but she would uh, sing in the choir, and then when they were done, at our church, they would sing in the choir, and when the choir was done, they would all just kind of make their way down into the seats. And so she would sing in the choir, and she would come sit on about the second or third row, and then LD would preach. Well, he walked into an elders' meeting. This is like my first elders' meeting as an intern, and I'm all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, can't wait to see what happens the inner workings of a church, he walks in and says, boys, we've got a problem, and it's got to be addressed. Um, this can't happen anymore. And over the course of that summer, they basically confronted her and talked to her about what she was doing, and, and uh, they pretty much dealt with it. You hear that, and you say, well, isn't that judgmental? yes that's judgmental now before you leave and before you think okay i see where this is going and i don't really want to hear this sermon let me give you a couple of jesus ones okay because just if it's just from my experience or from what somebody else has been through that's one thing but but when it's something that jesus has done maybe it's a little different you read the gospels and you see this throughout jesus did this thing where he would confront religious officials people who were insiders people who were leaders in the church he would come up to these people sometimes and he would call them some horrible nasty names uh called them criminals called them liars um you know rip off artists you you know you rip off parents you rip off kids you rip off uh families you just you're not he he was horribly rude some really honestly to some of these religious leaders and um but then one day and he would do all this publicly and then one day he walks up to a guy that is a known I want to say known felon that's you can tell I grew up in America he's a known um, crook Matthew I mean this guy he rips people off for a living I mean that's what he does he worked for the Roman government and his job was to get as much money from the Jews as he could and give it to the Romans that was his job and nobody liked him Jesus walks up to this guy and says hey why don't you come be my disciple why don't you come be a part of my inner circle So he's looking at religious leaders, and he calls them crooks. He looks at the crooks and says, hey, why don't you come follow me? And you say, what is going on with that? Another time, he walks up to a guy. uh, Actually, don't walk up to him. The guy is up in a tree, and you know the guy I'm talking about, right, Zacchaeus? We could sing Zacchaeus is a wee little man. He looks up into the tree, and he says, hey, why don't you come down? I'm going to go to your house. We're going to have lunch today. Now, Zacchaeus was a known criminal. This is a guy that stole from people. He wasn't a very nice guy. He was really nobody wanted to be around him and so you watch jesus do that and you say okay this doesn't make sense to me why would he talk to the religious leaders the way he did and then it comes to people like matthew who by the way became a disciple and wrote a book in the bible and then he looks at zacchaeus and says hey why don't you i want to spend some time with you you look at the the people on the inside and you're harsh with them you look at the people on the outside and they get to come hang out with you jesus it doesn't make any sense there, you got two groups of people the the outsiders that seem to get a pass with Jesus and the insiders who who are, you know he's so harsh with that that he pushes them to a point where they are ready to crucify him and they in fact do crucify him so you, you're asking yourself what in the world is going on I mean how do we reconcile the two things and, and what do you, what kind of sense do you make out of this kind of stuff you say isn't that a little judgmental when he looks at the religious leaders yes does it make you uncomfortable jesus would say it makes me uncomfortable and we would say well you know help us make sense of that in our world in our culture we've kind of bought into this statement that seems right to us but it's not really right with us the statement is this you shouldn't judge other people don't be judgmental Last week we talked about sitting in the seat of judgment and what it feels like when someone basically judges you and looks at you and you can tell they've passed judgment. How you A lot of times you don't have recourse and we want to tell our story and if I could just tell you my story then you would not only would you give me a pass you'd say I should have a you know like at Disney when you get the express thing into the ride quicker than everybody else you say that ought to happen to me with heaven I ought to get that kind of ride into heaven. It's a horrible thing to be judged. Consequently we have bought into a mindset that says don't judge don't ever ever be judgmental but when you read the bible that is not what you find you don't find it in the new testament you don't find it in the life of jesus you don't find it in the lives of the people who followed jesus in fact in scripture what you find is that the two groups of people the one group that shouldn't be judged and the one group that should be judged and oftentimes in the church we get this reversed we we judge the wrong ones and we get this all backward. You've got these people who are—we would call them on the outside. They don't go to church. They don't. There are people driving up and down Lafayette Avenue today that aren't given the first thought to coming to church. Aren't ever thinking about going to church. And and you know we've got all kinds of names we could call them—heathens, pagans, you know, uh, unsaved. I mean, lost. All kinds of different names. And we're really, really good as a church. Now, I said this last week. And I believe it to be true. I don't think Cross Lane. I don't hear a lot of that in our church and I, I wouldn't tolerate a whole lot of it. We don't really look down our noses at people who aren't a part of our fellowship. We we want to love people. We're trying to win people to Christ and we know we can't win them if we're constantly judging them all the time. But the church as a whole, the 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 universal church really has a problem with looking at these kind of people and being very, very judgmental. At the same time, the people on the inside of the circle who are doing things that probably should be judged many times get a pass, and the, the attitude is pretty much, you know, we're just going to gloss that over and act like we don't see it and not do anything about it. What I want to do over the next several minutes is to destroy the kind of thinking that allows that to go on and for us to be able to uh, tolerate things on the inside and judge the things on the outside. Um, it's one of the problems that we have. And it's uh, it's one of the reasons we have such a bad reputation with people who are who are not believers. To be honest with you, um, we don't have any business judging them. That's pretty much where we're going today. Um, if you have to leave early today, if I in case I tick you off and you say I'm I've had it, <laughs> I'm leaving, or you know if if lunch just can't wait or something else can't wait, then here's the bottom line. Okay, so you'll know before we get there. You, I'll just tell you this, and you can leave now. We can say amen. Sometimes judging. Is the loving thing to do? Sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. Look at First Corinthians five. This is uh, the, the the letter in Corinth. The, the The Corinthian letter is one of the several letters that Paul wrote to this group of people in Corinth. Um, we know that there were more letters written than we actually have. We have two of the letters. We know for a fact that there was a letter that was written previous to the two that we actually have. I've thought for a long time it would just be fascinating to me if we found that original Corinthian letter. It would be, I think it would just do, I don't really think I want them to find it because I think it would do horrible damage to the church. Can you imagine how the church would fight if we found this letter? There's something for you to think about over lunch. But there was a, a, a third Corinthian letter at least, and it came before the other two. And uh, what, what is going on is that Paul established this church And he put somebody in charge of it And then he left And then he would write letters back And he would check and make sure that they were okay um, Now, we don't know how big this church was in Corinth It wasn't super big It might have been 12 people Might have been 24 If it was really big, it might have been 36 people This was not a, a great big huge church They met in homes these were not Jews, they were Greeks they were, the, the whole faith thing was very new to them The idea of serving one God was, was completely new to them The idea of Jesus Christ as the Son of God Completely new concept to them um, they, they were not experiencing explosive growth numbers Like you hear about some mega church in America Okay, that wasn't going on with the church at Corinth This was a small, tight-knit group of people They knew each other probably very, very well and Paul gets word that there's some pretty dysfunctional stuff going on in this church at Corinth, and he finds out that there is a guy in the church there that is dating his stepmother. Let's go further than that, because he probably was doing more than dating her, okay? To keep it G-rated, they weren't behaving themselves. And so he claims to be a Jesus follower, and yet he's dating his stepmother, and um You know, Even in Corinth, even in a pagan, um, godless culture like Corinth, this was setting new standards for immorality. And and here's this guy who claims to be a Christian. He's sleeping with his stepmother. And we assume, you almost hope at this point that the father was dead so he didn't have to know and put up with all this stuff. Um, And Paul writes a letter to the church there, and he says, I hear there's a guy in your church that has his father's wife and you guys just kind of let him stay in there. And he says, I'm telling you that you've got to get that guy out of your church. You say, isn't that judgmental? Yes, that's very judgmental. He says, you've got to get him out. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. In other words, hey, Corinth, you are blazing new trails <laughs> in immorality, okay? You live in a culture where they don't recognize God. They don't put up with a whole lot of anything, and inside the church, you're setting a new standard for godlessness and godless behavior with this guy that you're tolerating among your among your, your group. Now, this is... Very important to our discussion this morning. This is a guy who has adopted a lifestyle and said, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to be. Yes, I believe in Jesus, but I also like doing this particular sin, this particular thing, and I'm going to do it, and you're not going to stop me, and, and I'm going to be proud of it. Um, it. This isn't someone who fell into sin and said, oh, man, I can't believe that I did that, and is struggling with it and trying to get past it. And that, they, We're not talking about that kind of person, okay? We're talking about somebody that has basically said, I'm going to do this. And you're just going to have to get used to it. Um, this is a guy that's embracing a lifestyle that is contrary to Jesus, contrary to common sense, and contrary to culture. Uh, definitely contrary to Christ. A man has his father's wife, and he's talking to the church. Verse 2, and you are proud. In other words, you guys think they look cute together. You, you guys, you know, you would line them up and take pictures. You you don't seem to think that there's anything wrong with, God, with what's going on not only is this going on in your midst it doesn't even bother you you seem to be proud of it shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief in other words shouldn't you mourn shouldn't this just kind of rock your world and this is really important shouldn't this break your heart shouldn't this behavior and shouldn't this knowledge of what's going on inside your number shouldn't it break your heart there are certain times and and I don't want you to think that in a staff meeting all we do is just sit around and gossip about people that's not what happens but once in a while something will happen and you know it's a conversation that has to happen among me and maybe a staff person finds something out and and I'm supposed to be brought into the loop and I'll be informed I remember specifically is one time in particular I'm thinking of about four years ago Kyle and I were in the office together and and um I was telling him something that he needed to know. And I remember his reaction. His reaction was the reaction that a Christian should have when another Christian, uh, when he finds out that another Christian is sinning and doing something that they shouldn't be doing. His reaction was not, well, we gotta, you know, be spiritual and, you know, we're better than, what? His, that wasn't his reaction at all. His reaction was, oh, man. it Just makes you sick at your stomach to think that that they've fallen like that. that to, to think that they they've fallen into a, some kind of sinful trap and they're they're all tangled up and, you know, I mean, I, I distinctly remember, you know, one of Kyle's favorite words is the word trash. He just said he said trash. <laughs> you know, like, Daggone it. That's the right reaction. His heart was broken. That's the reaction one believer should have when they find out that another believer has been caught up into something that they, they were trying to avoid, hopefully were trying to avoid. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Now, here's the tension in this verse. Paul says, when you found out about this guy sleeping with his stepmother, two things should have happened immediately. Number one, it should have broken your heart. You, you should have, you know, your eyes should have just rolled back in your head like, and you should have put this guy out of your midst and you say wait a minute if it breaks our heart shouldn't we shouldn't we bring him in instead Paul says no because you think it's cool you guys think that this is alright and normal and, and that you should just it's okay to behave this way and you should just tolerate it when in fact it should have broken your heart and you should have thrown him out Instead, You say, well, isn't that being judgmental? Yes, yes. But he he would say, Paul would say, that's the whole point of the letter that I'm writing to you. Verse 3, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed. What word does he use? What word does he use? I've already passed judgment on the one who did this. And you say, "Paul, Paul, don't you know, Paul, Christians aren't supposed to be judgmental? And Paul would say, well, I'm one of the first Christians, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, I judge. Not only do I judge, I document it. I write it in a letter, and I send it to all the churches so that they can know what my stance on things like this are. I have in my mind, Paul would say, decided that this guy is guilty. I have sentenced him, and I'm telling you that you need to remove him from your fellowship. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this Just as if I were present Verse 4 And we're going to get into something here in just a minute And it may scare you away You may hear this and may never come hear me preach again ever I hope that's not the case When you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Remember remember, these are people (laughs) These are people in tight community They know each other very well Okay This is a lot smaller church we're talking about Than even our own church when you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present hand this man over to Satan you read that and you go, what? hand this man over to Satan now right now somebody's thinking what kind of church have I just walked into you hear that and you think to yourself wait a minute Whatever happened to love one another Whatever happened to love is patient And love is kind Love is long suffering Whatever happened to God's patience Leads us to repentance Paul Have you forgotten everything else That you've ever written He says no I want you to get together And I want you to have a meeting and this guy's probably not going to be in your meeting and I want you to decide that what he's doing is wrong and I want you to remove him from fellowship and I want you to say we're going to hand this guy over to Satan now you hear that and you're like what in the world does that mean I mean when you look at this in in, in the original language it kind of has a a, a legal feel to it it's almost like you you look at Frank and you say Frank we're going to hand you over to Satan Satan here's Frank you know uh, enjoy have a good time with Frank um, does that strike you as weird does that strike you as as just a little on the judgmental side listen to how he finishes this up how how many of you have been to a wedding where they read first corinthians 13 the love chapter love is not proud love does not boast you've all heard that at a wedding right well the same guy who wrote the definitive chapter called we call it the love chapter the same guy who wrote that wrote this thing about turning people over to satan and you're like you know is that in the same book i mean not only is it in the bible together these two phrases, they're in the same book. I mean, you can turn eight page, eight chapters after 1 Corinthians 5, go to 1 Corinthians 13, you got in chapter 5, him talking about turning people over to Satan, in chapter 13, he's talking about love is patient, and love, joy, and hope, you know, and, and the greatest of these is love, and it's like, how in the world does the same guy write this stuff? There's a very important tension that's going on, and I think for a long time, the church has not understood this the right way. And it puts us at odds with our culture And uh, I think also can put us at odds With God if we're not careful um, You know we know that you should never form An opinion about other people But Paul's trying to say something here And we got to figure out what it is he's trying to say In Greek there is a little word Called henna henna, And and henna is like a connector It signifies purpose It shows up all throughout the, the New Testament And um, I remember translating this word. It it's it, it crops up all the time. It was one of my favorite words because it was easy to translate and I knew what it meant. And so when I would see that I was like, "Oh, I know what that word means." It means in order then, and or so that. It kind of connects things. It connects the dots a little bit. And in this next passage, Paul's going to explain why he would make such a judgment call and why in the world he would require the Corinthians to put this guy outside the church. And and this is such an extraordinarily important principle and and there's a reason we need to understand this hand this man over to satan then that you get that little word henna so that in order that or for the purpose of or for the result of so he's going to connect two things why are we handing this guy over that's really key it's really i don't want you to just hear this and think well they're handing him over to satan so he can burn in hell for the rest no it's not what this is okay so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the lord You say, well, that doesn't help us at all. What in the world does that mean? Paul's saying the reason I want you to put him out is because he is so important. The reason I want you to put him out is because I love him and I want him to come back. The reason I want you to put him out is because we're trying to save him. We're trying to restore him. We're trying to make sure that he's taken care of. We're we're not mad at him. I'm not mad at the guy. There's a reason we're putting him out. It's not just hand him over to Satan and be done with him here's what paul knows about sin here's what you and i know about sin sin can very very easily entangle us sin does not play favorites sin can get into your life and mess up an awful lot of things we we all know that paul knows that and so he writes and he says look the reason here's what you got to understand about paul paul's motive in this whole thing is not punishment if you read this passage and you think for a second that what paul's out to do is to punish somebody or to show somebody else how spiritual he is and oh i'm an apostle and i know all this stuff about jesus and you obviously don't know as much as i do about jesus and so i'm going to muscle up on you flex my big spiritual muscles and i'm going to punish you for acting that way that is not paul's motive in this at all it wasn't that he wanted to punish this guy Paul's motive was restoration. Paul's motive was to bring this guy back. Paul's motive was to have him stand with God in a right standing. See, we look at him and say, if that's the lifestyle you've chosen, what what, what Paul would say to us is, if that's the lifestyle you've chosen, then why don't you just step outside of church, just go on out and do whatever it is, that you're going to do. And when you're down and when you're broken and when you have fallen on your sin and it's crushing you and and you you just feel completely lost and devastated and you're ready to make some changes, come back and we'll love you, we'll forgive you, we'll accept you, we'll embrace you. But look, if you're just going to do this stuff and flaunt it in front of us, just go on. You know, cuz here's what's ha- here's what happens. People people that get caught up in sin, here's how a person leaves church. Okay, in case you're wondering. You ever wonder, why did I get away from church? Here's how it happened. You were clicking along on all cylinders with God. Things were great. And then all of a sudden, some sin comes and roosts itself in your life somehow. And it starts to drive a wedge between you and God. Eventually, you're not as close to God as you used to be. Eventually, church doesn't become as important as it used to be. One day, you look up and you think, I don't think I'm going to go to church today. Pretty soon, that becomes a habit and you don't go to church like you should. Pretty soon, you're not doing church at all. The sin is still there. The sin is still a problem. Sin's still causing its mess. And you're not going to church. Now, the reason you're not going to church anymore is not because you woke up and decided Jesus did not raise from the dead. Jesus is not the son of God. I've done my homework and decided that Jesus isn't who he said he was. That's not the reason you're not going to church. The reason you're not going to church is because sin took root, drove a wedge between you and God, and moved you away from church. Paul's saying, look, that's going to happen anyway. Let's just speed up the process okay you're involved in a sin that's causing a problem you're proud of it you're happy about it you don't seem to think there's any problem so let's just go ahead and you're going to end up away from us anyway so let's just put you out so that you can get there sooner because what's going to happen because what happens to us when we move away from God when we fall on our sin and we realize sin is the problem between me and God and I've got to deal with this sin and then when we do and we come back and God embraces us, we're forgiven, we know we're forgiven, we can come right back to God. Paul's saying, look, all that's gonna happen, let's just get you to the place where you can fall on your sin sooner. Look, I'm not mad at you, I'm not putting you down, I'm not saying you're a bad guy, I'm saying you're sinning and that doesn't have any place in the church, we're gonna put you out so that you can fall and come back to us. And when you come back, we will embrace you, we will love you, we will care for you, we will nurture you. That's what Paul's trying to say. Sometimes judging is the loving thing to do. Verse six: Your boasting is not good. Do you know? Don't you know that a little yeast? And just by the way, in the New Testament, when you see the word yeast, generally speaking, it's associated in some way with sin. You can take the word yeast and sin, and they're kind of interchangeable. They, yeast represents sin. Uh, don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? That, in other words, that When you put a bad thing in with a whole bunch of something good, the whole bunch of something good does not overcome the bad thing. I just read an article yesterday in in, uh, Sports Illustrated. At the very end, there's an article about a baseball player. I'm not going to mention his name, but this baseball player's had six different teams that he's been on. Nobody wants him because he's a bad apple because he causes problems everywhere he goes and and they team sign this guy to a contract because he's fairly good and then they get him in their clubhouse and he's a problem in their clubhouse and nobody wants him when the contract's up they don't renew his contract been with six different teams why is that because he's a bad chemistry guy because he's yeast because he's, he's the bad thing in this whole group. There's 25 guys on a baseball team. You would like to think that the other 24 could have some influence on the one bad guy. It's not how it works. The one bad guy influences, makes trouble for everybody else in the clubhouse, and therefore you don't have a winning team. I don't think this guy's ever been on a team that contended for a championship. That might not be a coincidence. Get rid of the old yeast, verse 7. That you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are he says if, if you leave this alone you've got two things going on first of all you're going to leave this guy in sin which is not good for him second of all this guy's going to be sinning in your midst it's going to water down everything you're trying to do that's not good for you because a little bit of sin begins to work its way and it causes problems it causes problems for churches causes problems for small groups causes problems in families And he says, look, for the sake of your own protection, because I love you, and Paul loved these people, he says, for your sake, I'm gonna make a judgment call here. You need to put this guy out. You you need to let him go ahead and do whatever it is that he's gonna do. He needs to do it outside the church. And when he's ready to come back, you love him. You embrace him. You forgive him. And you help him get over whatever it is he's having trouble with. And then in verse seven, he, he comes right out and he says it, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is his way of saying, before you get mad at me and say that I'm too judgmental, time out. We're Christians. We follow Jesus. We believe that Jesus left heaven, came to earth, just like Kyle was talking about this morning, died for our sins so that we could be redeemed and saved. We believe that Jesus Christ died because of sin. We believe that Jesus went to the cross for sin. And Paul's saying, why in the world would you embrace as a Christian the very thing that sent Jesus to the cross? We meet every week to celebrate our redemption and our forgiveness. Why in the world would we re-embrace the things that killed our Savior? And you, you, know, you, you hear that and you say, well, when you put it that way, it really doesn't make any sense. And Paul says, exactly, it's what I'm talking about. I'm not mad at this guy. He says, I want to get him out so that we can get him back in. It's not like I got mad at this guy and get out of my face no one ever talk to you again. No, get him out, let sin crush him, let sin do whatever work it's going to do so that when he comes back, he's ready to engage God and he's ready to be a, a part of the family the way that we're supposed to function as a part of the family. Why would we ignore one among us who... Um, Names himself a Christian and says, in the meantime, I'm just going to do whatever I want, even if it displeases God. I'm going to re-embrace the sin that killed Jesus. And Paul's saying, come on, you've you, you got to do something. Because if you don't, you will get comfortable with sin. And if you get comfortable with sin in the church, you will, you will start to embrace compromise. And when you become a church that compromises, you will become a church of men and women who has completely lost sight of the sacrifices God has made for you. Put him out, not to punish him, but to preserve him and to preserve the church because sin does not play fair. And he'll come back and when he does, you welcome him. Then something interesting happens in Paul's mind. You can can almost kind of see it working its way out. I told you that he'd written um, another letter before the letter that we're actually in right now. Um, It's almost as if Paul in his mind says, you know what? I think maybe they have misapplied something that I wrote in my first letter maybe they've heard something in that first letter and they're they they misunderstood it and they're applying it the wrong way and you can almost see the gears kind of turning in Paul's mind so he he, he's going to refer to this other letter in verse 9 I have written you in my letter the letter that he wrote previously not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters and then Paul in his effort to kind of be humorous this is, a, this is meant as humor in that case you would have to leave this world what he's saying is there are pagans everywhere I mean there's all kinds of people that are sexually immoral and, and ungodly they're all around you and if you weren't going to associate with them you'd have to leave the earth because they're all over the earth and he says maybe you misunderstood my letter i wasn't talking about the people on the outside of the faith who do those things paul says that's not what i meant oh i thought we were supposed to get together and judge the people on the outside and boycott businesses and you know be nasty to people that don't think like we do and paul says no you don't have any business judging people on the outside i'm talking about the people On the inside, we're talking about the people on the inside who have all agreed to common ground. We see in here we've all kind of agreed on on the 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 ground rules, right? Certain things, behaviors that we're going to say, hey, we're not going to do those things. You know what, Joe Lunchbox that's driving up and down Lafayette Avenue this morning, who's not even thinking about going to church, he's not agreed to the behavior patterns, and he's not agreed to. To the lifestyle that we've agreed to, we shouldn't be judging somebody that hasn't agreed to come under that kind of behavior. The only way you can judge somebody is to say, "This is what we believe, and you're not doing it." A person outside the church has not bought into our value system. A person outside the church doesn't agree with the standard by which we judge them. So why in the world will we judge somebody like that? Paul says, "I didn't mean for you to judge. Them. You're judging the wrong people." Well, what did you mean? Well, let me explain. Verse 11. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. In other words, if you're going to judge somebody, you don't judge the people who are outside the faith. You judge the ones who are inside the faith. Who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral. Like the guy I'm talking about that needs to be put out of the church. Or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler with such a man. Do not even eat. And they're saying, man, we, we had this thing totally backwards. And Paul's like, yeah, you kind of did. See, this is why Jesus could look at the religious leaders of his day and call them thieves, call them crooks, and say all kinds of things to them, and, and at the same time turn around and look at Matthew and say, hey, come follow me. He could look at Zacchaeus and say, hey, we're going to go have lunch together today. Zacchaeus and Matthew, total crooks, total outsiders, but he's looking at the religious leaders who are insiders who know better and he says you guys should know better that's the difference Jesus says you need to understand I came for outsiders that's the whole reason I'm here now listen to how Paul closes this verse 12 what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church inference I don't have any business judging those outside the church and here's his last remark are you and the it's a question and the implication to, the the implied answer to this question is yes okay are you not to judge those inside now look at verse 13 would you read that with me god will judge those outside read it again god will judge those outside quick quiz just going to find out how good the retention rate is in the room real quick this morning who will judge those on the outside okay real good So when you judge those on the outside, you are acting like God. The church is so good at this. We are so good at this. Now, again, I would like to think that Cross Lane doesn't get caught up in this, but we probably do. We get caught up in looking at people on the outside and thinking somehow we're better than them. Somehow, you know, they don't have their act together. And man, if they were just like us, the life would be so much better. We've got this so messed up. Paul says inside, you have an agreed upon standard. There's a right way and wrong way to do business. You guys have all agreed on it. When you see somebody who's not doing that, and they're blatant about it, and they're public about it, and they don't really care, you got to deal with that. Now understand that this is an extreme case. This is we're talking about an extreme case where you would go to someone and say, "Look, you're gonna have to you to have to do that someplace other than here." Um, you're gonna you're talking about an extreme case where you're gonna turn someone over and let the consequences of their sin pretty much just crush them and weigh in on them well this isn't something that happens every day or every month or even every year it's it's happened around here we've had conversations like this don't have them very often don't want to have them and and this is not something where we're constantly looking for that kind of stuff either we want people when this happens if it happens we just want to get them to the place where their sin can do whatever work it's going to do can crush them the way they need to be crushed so that they can really be in a posture to hear God's voice and when they hear God's voice and they come running back then our job as the church is to be there to love them forgive them to embrace them here's his closing line God will judge those outside expel the wicked man from among you there's a couple of lessons first of all we are supposed to judge one another now I'm not talking about a witch hunt okay I'm not talking about somebody getting morally superior and going oh you're doing we're gonna send you out of church we're just talking about saying look if you're if you're gonna flaunt it <laughs> if you're gonna do that and it's just not really gonna be a problem and and you know even though the bible says you shouldn't and we're we all pretty much are in agreement that this is behavior that's out of bounds and you don't even really seem to, you seem to be kind of happy about it. Not doesn't seem to break your heart. Then then we just rather you just go ahead and take it outside. And then when it busts you up, if it does and you want to come back, then come back, we'll love you. But you can't celebrate sin and worship a Savior at the same time. Now, here's what not to do <laughs> with with these verses. This is not a verse or principle that you... Uh, apply to family there's a whole nother standard for family because when when sin happens inside family one of the things that happens with sin inside family is we get mad see if you're mad we talked about this last week when you're mad you got other issues when you, when when there's something that's gone on and you've judged somebody else and you see the sawdust in somebody else's eye like last week we said what's the first thing you do when you see sawdust in somebody else's eye and you get angry what do you do first thing what do you do look in the mirror you look in the mirror and you say, God, why does that sin make me angry? And you've got to deal with that before you can deal with them. This isn't something that you apply to family because in, in family, there's a whole new set of dynamics. There's a whole other way, there's a whole other set of principles for dealing with family. And if you want to use this principle for some reason other than to restore somebody, then you don't understand the principle. As long as you want to punish somebody, then you've got a log in your eye. This isn't a family thing, this is a church thing. Some of you are thinking, man, what, what in the world kind of church have I walked into this morning? I thought this was a different kind of church. This dude's talking about kicking people out and, you know, no, I'm not I mean, it's, this isn't something we look forward to doing. This isn't something I want to do. This is about saying, "I love you so much." I care what happens to you I believe that God loves you so much That that this sin is eventually going to cause a problem for you So you know what before you cause more problems inside our group You're obviously on some kind of self-destructive path Let's just get you You know if you knew somebody was going to set themselves on fire You probably would move them away from the women and kids right I mean you'd get them away from everybody else he got the gasoline pouring all over and they got the match ready. You say, hold, hold, hold on just a minute. Can we just get you away from everybody else? That's all this is. It's just saying, look, if you're bent on doing this kind of thing and, and there's no way we can stop you and you seem kind of happy about it, can we just get you to take it to another place so that you don't affect us and when, when you burn yourself up, then come on back, we'll love you. Now here's my recommendation. <laughs> don't go home with this and do anything, okay don't try to apply this yet, don't say aha, because see if, you're, if, if there's some part of you that's hearing this going aha, log in your eye, log in your eye, okay, stop because if you're hearing this and thinking I got me a verse, I can't wait to get to him, I got a verse log in your eye you got surgery to do before you can do anything you got to figure out why it is That you're going, aha, because that's a problem. There's one reaction to people when you find them in sin. There's one reaction. What did Jesus do? He wept. When when you find someone in sin, it should break your heart. It shouldn't puff you up morally and make you think you're better than everybody else and make you think, I got them now. I'm going to put them in their place. I'm going to look so spiritual. The spiritual person goes, tag on it. Why does sin have to be that way? When the sin of your friends breaks your heart, you're ready to talk to them. But until then, you've probably got work to do. Sometimes, judging is the loving thing to do. Let's pray. Father, there's not a one of us in here this morning that would represent to you or to anybody else for a second that we're above sin. We're eating up with it, God. We, we do our best to avoid it. We, we hate it. We, we don't want it. but it's all around us and it tangles us up causes all kinds of problems, gets in our way. Most of the time, Lord, we fall into it. Father, once in a while, sin becomes so strong in our life that it becomes a, something that we just do. We know it's wrong, and that doesn't stop us from doing it. And we, Lord, what we do at that point is we re-embrace the sin that sent you to the cross. That should break our heart. Father, I could preach sermons like this and they're not a whole lot of fun and it's real easy to hear sermons like this and and think about the other person who would get caught up in something like that. But Lord, I really would hope that all of us in here are thinking about how it would hit us. Your love is an amazing thing that it would send Jesus to a cross, that he would leave glory, come dwell among us, die on a cross for our sins. Man. Father, would that kind of love motivate us when we see someone in sin? Would would it break our heart when we see someone in sin? And would the motive not be, get you out of my sight so I never have to talk to you again, but would the motive be, Let's get you out so we can get you back in so that you can get this thing out of your system, whatever it is, and we can love you again back into a right relationship with Jesus. So Father, we stand in front of you this morning completely in need of your grace, completely in need of the forgiveness that you have purchased on the cross. And we stand under a waterfall of your love this morning, God. We love you back. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clchurch.com.